you know, worship unites us as we stand and we sing together, worshiping the one true God together. It unites us without us even realizing it. Thank you, Jesus, that you're building a family here. Lord, I thank you for that one person. Whether they're in the room or they're listening online, that one person who said, I'll give this a go. I thank you, your promises. That if they draw near to you, you'll draw near to them. And I thank you, you make yourself known to that person tonight. You open the eyes of their understanding and change their life forever as you did mine, as you did so many others here. We love you, Lord. We give you glory. We thank you for your invitation to come boldly and confidently before the throne of grace. Through your blood, we enter tonight. Hallelujah. We worship you. We kiss your feet, Jesus. We kiss your feet. We worship you. worship you. Amen. Amen, all right. <laughs> you can be seated. Thanks, Mary, for leading us in worship. Isn't Mary awesome? What a blessing. Let's thank her again. And one more time for Mary. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Joe. <laughs> How are we all? That's good. Good to see you all. Just uh, a reminder, we have to be out of here by 6.15, just because there's another group coming. So if we, if we rush you out towards the end, it's just because, uh, yeah, we need to respect that group coming in. Thanks, Pastor Tony, Pastor Abs, for um, giving me the opportunity to preach. I don't take it lightly and respect you and honour you. Thank you. Thank you for leading us so well. Don't we agree? Don't we have the best pastors? Yeah. All right, so my message tonight 
Yeah, any kids, if they want to head up the back, the door is about to shut. All right. So the message tonight is about God's provision. And it's easy to think that provision is God's material provision or God's material blessing. And it is that, but it's so much more. So what I want to talk about tonight is how God provides for us in his process. That God takes us through a process and that when we're in that process, he provides everything we need in that process. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God works in you, both to, to perform his will and to work for his good through you, which is his process. But, Paul says, you've got to work it out. You have to work out your salvation. So we know we get saved, we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we hear the gospel, and we receive that. And so often, people might say, well, there you go, now you're saved, you're guaranteed a spot in heaven, now go and live your life. But that is only the beginning. Salvation is just the beginning of God's process in us. And it's a process he actually undertakes. But we have to partner with God and with the Holy Spirit. So he says, work it out. He says, do it with fear and trembling, which means take it seriously. And he says, at the end, in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So why would he say that? Why would he say, hey, by the way, don't try not to complain <laughs> during this process? Well, it's because God's process is often a very uncomfortable one. It's not, you know, it's not a walk in the park a lot of the time. It's uncomfortable, it's difficult. It brings up stuff that you don't want to deal with. It requires you to go deep inside and find all those things that are hidden, those dark blind spots, whatever they might be. But Paul's saying, be careful, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy. So be careful you don't complain. And I mean, if, if you want to see how uncomfortable it is, just look at Jesus. Look at Jesus' life. Look at all the apostles' lives. I know I, I didn't see a comfortable process in any one of their lives. So safe to say it'll be the same with us. So let's look at an example of God's process and also how people began to complain. In Exodus, we all know the story of Moses freeing God's people, the Israelites, from Egypt 
They're stuck there. They're in bondage, in slavery for 400, 430 years. Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And we all know that, that story. They walk through the Red Sea and they're free. After 400 odd years of slavery, of bondage, they are free. But they don't go straight into the promised land, into the land of milk and honey. God leads them into the wilderness. And that's something we have to realize tonight, that they didn't get lost on the way to the promised land. It's not like they were saying, oh man, we're struggling to find the promised land and 30, 40 years later, we still can't find it. It's, they were in the wilderness because God led them into the wilderness. Remember the pillar of cloud? God led them into a place of wilderness. A place, a difficult place. An arduous place. An uncomfortable place. A place without food. A place with extreme environment and the truth is God led them there and they were there for 40 years Exodus chapter 16 verse 2 we see in the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron the Israelites said to them if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt there in Egypt we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They are there because God led them there. And we hear them complaining and grumbling to Moses. And isn't it incredible that They've come out of 400 years of slavery. All they wanted when they were in Egypt, all they wanted was to be free. All they wanted was God to save them. And now he's got them out of slavery, out of Egypt, into a wilderness. And they're saying, mate, take us back. At least over there, we had some meat. What I hear when I hear them complaining is like the language of, of addiction. It's like we're free, but there's something about that old bondage or slavery where we were comfortable. Let's go back there. At least it's familiar. At least we know what it is. This wilderness, it's new, it's uncertain. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what we're going to get, what we're not going to get. At least in bondage and slavery, it's a bit more predictable. They were getting whipped in Egypt. And now they're saying, let's, let's go back. So, even though they were out of slavery as a people, 
they were still in bondage in their hearts and in their minds. And I was actually um, with Rab's ministering to someone yesterday, and I was thinking about this message as he was ministering to him. And Rab's actually said to the person, he said, you've been, you know, you've been freed by the gospel, but you're still a prisoner in your mind and in your heart. Your mind and your heart are still in chains. And I thought, wow, that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about here. Where you're free, you're saved, you've been set free spiritually, but your heart and your mind is still in bondage, you're still in slavery, you're still a prisoner. And so this is the principle that you can get people out of slavery in an instant. But you can't get slavery out of people except through a process. You can get people out of slavery in an instant, but you can't get slavery out, out of a person except through a process. Do we get that? And it's a long process. I know myself when I got saved and encountered Jesus. And it was, it was like I was walking on, on clouds for months. But that faded. And I had to deal with the reality of the traumas, the emotional baggage. All that stuff was still there. I realized God loved me. I accepted what Je the sacrifice Jesus made. I, um, for the first time in my life, I felt loved by God. It was amazing. And it's, it's so easy to go and want to serve God and be on fire for God and start doing things for God out of the, in, in that time and in that place when really there's a process God wants to do in us. And that salvation is just the beginning. Got to work it out. And so that's the reason they don't go straight to the promised land. If we look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2, we see the reason here. This is Moses. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. To humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart and whether or not you would keep his commands. So the reason... Moses is saying the reason you were in the wilderness for 40 years was because you didn't know what was in your heart. And God didn't want to take you into the promised land before all that stuff was addressed. Because you wouldn't know how to handle the promised land if your heart still isn't right or if your mind hasn't been renewed. You still didn't know the condition of your heart. So, the wilderness, we can think of it like a journey, like they were passing through, but we all know 
that the, actually the promised land was very close by. But they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So the wilderness isn't a place of transportation. It's a place of transformation. The wilderness isn't a place of transportation. It's not a place you just pass through. You're not passing from A to B and the wilderness happens to be in the middle. The wilderness is the place of transformation. <coughs> so, you see it all the time. You see, you know, a young person come to church, get radically saved on the altar, even delivered, and um, that's on a Sunday, and then you know, let's say they've got um, anger issues. You'd hope that they were healed of that and delivered of that on, on a Sunday, but most of the time come Wednesday, that thing is still there. If it's a spirit, hopefully it's been delivered and it's left. But sometimes things are in us that need to be actually dealt with by God in his presence, shone a light on, surrendered and healed in his presence over time. So how does it happen? How does the process happen? And you know, Pastor Rabs and Tony talk about this all the time and we might even sound like broken records, but it's through trials. That is how that process actually occurs. That is how God deals with those things in our hearts. It's through trials, through challenges, when the heat is turned up. Only through difficulty. And the truth is, I've never seen anyone get transformed in a place of comfort. It just doesn't happen. It's in those trials, those difficulties, those challenges where we see who we truly are. And we don't like that. Especially us today. We don't want this long process. Man, we got microwaves. We got Uber Eats. We, there are pills for things. There's, um, you know, click your fingers, zap this, zap that. Huh? How are chicken? Exactly. Uncle John's pizza. We're not a people who like long processes. So, of all the generations, ours is to, to go through this, it's quite challenging. But it's absolutely necessary. And you think about it this way. Can you, like, zap someone into good character? Like, say someone's got some character issues. Can you actually do it instantaneously? You know, some t I've got to admit, sometimes there are these people that God saves radically and it miraculously they do have this incredible heart, instantaneous heart change. I can't deny that. I've seen it. 
But most people, their character has to, they have to be pruned, they have to be discipled, they have to be loved, they have to be encouraged, and then their character begins to transform. I wish there was a button you could press to do it, but there isn't. But that's God's process. And it's a painful one. And maybe there's someone here and they're thinking, so are you telling me that God has authored, God is the author of all this pain in my life? And that's something we we have to address because we don't want to misrepresent God either. God, when God created the world, he only created good things. He looked at everything he created and he said, it's good. God didn't create the wilderness. The reality is we live in a corrupt, corrupted world and a corrupt generation. And if we want to see God's true response to this, look at Jesus at Lazarus's tomb, where he sees the death and the corruption and he cries. He cries because that wasn't his design. That wasn't his intention. But we also see him use that tragedy for great, for a great and glorious purpose. And it's the same with your trials, that God will use them for a great and glorious purpose. Did he ordain the pain? No. Did he create the evil? No. But will he use it for his glory and his purpose? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, let's look at God's provision when you're in his process. When you're in his wilderness. When he's invited you into the wilderness and into his process. Let's see how he provides for us. Because he doesn't, God doesn't abandon us in the wilderness, thankfully. Sometimes you might feel like you've been abandoned, but he doesn't. He actually provides bread. And he tells you how to get it. So let's look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 4 to 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Now I'm going to uh, jump to verse 27 to 35. It says, Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. 
So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So it's amazing. God provided manna for them for 40 years. And he doesn't just provide it, but he also gives them instructions on how to get it. Because, and he's, he's providing it so they don't die. He's sustaining them in the wilderness. That's the purpose of the manna. But he tells you how to get it. He, first of all, he tells them to get it, and he tells them how to get it, because although he provides it, they can still die if they don't know how to get it. Right? So he, he gives it to them, but he gives them kind of very clear instructions on what, how they're to gather it and how they're to use it. They had to gather it. They had to, there were rules about how to do it. And I was thinking about this the other day. Like, God, seriously, it's, it, manna is an amazing miracle. But why, like, why not go all the way? Why not just put it in their stomachs every day so that they don't have to go out and collect it? You know, it's already an amazing miracle, but why not just complete the miracle so that it just, it's in their tummies every morning they wake up. They don't even have to do anything. But I noticed that salvation, when you receive the gospel, you're, you almost don't do anything to receive it. You just have to accept it. You open your heart and you receive it. You, you, you didn't have to do, they didn't really have to do much to get out of Egypt either, apart from walking. It was like, walk through here, okay, and we're free. But now... Now that they are free, they actually have to participate in what God is providing for them. There are rules, instructions on how they have to get it. And if they don't participate, they'll die. Because if they don't participate, they won't get what God's provided to actually sustain and nourish them in the wilderness. They have to go out and get God's provision. God gives them the strength to do that. And how does he do it? There are three ways. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 4 to 3. Sorry, 4. 4 to 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So, Moses, he goes on to say, if we look at it, um, in chapter 8, verse 3, is Moses reflecting on this. He says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from
from the mouth of the Lord. And he says, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. When, when else did we hear those words? When Jesus was in the wilderness. So Moses is saying to them that God gave you manna to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I'm like, but manna is kind of bread. So what's Moses talking about here? He's actually showing us what the manna represents. And the manna represents the word of God. And we see Jesus actually eat the word of God when he's in the wilderness for 40 days to actually defeat the devil. So what's Moses saying here? He's saying there's a strength, when you're in the wilderness, there's a strength you get from the word of God that will sustain you. And what you have to do when you're in the wilderness is actually take the word of God and turn it into bread. The word of God is actually your bread in the wilderness. And if you don't go out, if you don't get the word of God, if you don't eat the word of God in the wilderness, you'll die. Like it's that serious. In those trials, in those difficult times, God is saying, he provides, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Eat the word of God when you're in the wilderness. It is God's provision. It is what God actually provides. It's not this uh, option we have on the bookshelf that we might take off the shelf and dust off every now and then when we're in the wilderness. No, he's saying, take it, eat it, digest it, work it in, consume it, taste it every day. Without it, you will die. You have to get the word of God into you when you're in the wilderness. That's the first way we get strength. That's the first way God sustains us. What's the second? The second strength is relationship. So the manna comes every day. Why every day? Isn't that silly? Like, why, why not? Why do they have to go out and get it every day? Why can't they stockpile it for a week? Why can't they refrigerate it for a week? You know, why, why do they have to go every day? It's a miracle. Why not just give us a bunch that we can store for a week or two weeks? That way we don't have to go out every, every day and get it. But no. When God, when Jesus, when they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, there's no doubt that when he said, give us this day our daily bread, he's referring, he's making reference to the manna. And it's a daily thing. It's not something you can stockpile. It's not something you can do once every now and then. It's an absolute necessity that it's a day-to-day, -day, moment by moment thing. You need that moment by moment relationship with God in the wilderness. It's absolutely ne necessary. 
And I know a lot of you have been in that place. A lot of you know what I'm talking about. A lot of you are in that place right now where you know that without the Word of God and without your relationship with God, you know you wouldn't make it. So I, I know I'm preaching to the choir because a lot of you are actually living this, I know. And so it's easy to think in the wilderness, man, I just need some big, big, huge breakthrough just to get me out of here. And God's like, day by day, relationship with me, moment by moment, walk with me, be led by the Holy Spirit, and he'll lead you out of the wilderness and into the promised land. So what's he trying to do? He's trying to get you to stop going to him for your needs, but rather go to him for him. So that he's the only thing you need. So he is the object of your prayers. Not what you need, not the breakthrough, not the healing, but God himself is what you are seeking in your prayer. And that's the secret of getting manna, to actually get into his presence and get him. He is the manna that will get you through. And so it's that second, that second way he gives us strength is through relationship with him. And what's the third way? And this is a really important thing, and I, I want you all to get this. When we, when we look at the instructions, we see something pretty interesting. So if, if you look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 16, and it says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Where are we? Yeah. So, some people would have gone out that day and some people have bigger hands and were able to collect more omers of manna. And maybe some kids went out as well. They had small hands. But the point was they had to bring it all back into the community and then it was distributed. And each person got an omer for the number of people in their tent. And so whether you collected a lot or whether you collected a little, everyone in the community got fed the exact same amount at the end of the day when it was distributed. So God said, don't just get it out. Don't just go out there, collect it, and then go back to your tent and eat the manna yourself. Again, he gave very clear instructions. It wasn't from God to the individual wasn't go help yourself and go sit in your own tent and, and eat it. No, it was from God to the community. And then, although it was gathered by individuals, it was distributed 
through the community. Do we get that? That the people weren't fed by themselves going out and collecting the manna. They gathered it, they collected it, came to the community, and then it was distributed. And that is a very key thing that we have to understand. That often, actually I'd say most of the time, God feeds us through his body, through the community, through accountability. Christianity was never meant to be this individual, uh, isolated relationship between you and God. Absolutely not. He feeds you, and maybe there's someone here who feels like they're in the wilderness and they're starving, and they don't know if they're going to make it. I would ask you to think about whether you've isolated yourself or whether you are in God's community and are accountable to his body because that is God's, God's instruction. And you can starve to death alone. Even You might even have your Bible in hand and absolutely committed, doing your devotional every day in your bedroom, but you can still starve to death in that place without God's body, without the community God has actually ordained. That's God's way. God created family. God designed family. And this is a family. This is God's family. And there are things that happen in his family and in his community that can't happen otherwise. The love, the, you know, you come into community, sometimes someone will encourage you. Sometimes you'll encourage someone else. Sometimes someone will admonish you. You admonish someone else. Someone falls, you pick them up. You fall, they pick you up. That is God's family. That is God's community. And that is how he actually feeds you in the wilderness. You can't do it in ISO. <laughs> you know? They want to put the whole world in ISO. But God's design is community, body, unity, accountability, discipleship. It's completely different. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. And in verse, verse 4, we read it before, and I'll finish on this note. God says, you know, collect it on the six days. Don't collect it on the seventh because the seventh day is where you're meant to remember and worship the one who's providing the manna. And God calls it a test. The Bible says it's a test for people. And then we read in verse 27 that a lot of people actually went out on the seventh day and collected, mag uh, collected manna. And we knew that it filled with maggots if it wasn't collected the, the way God uh, wanted it collected. And so the point is, it's a, it's a test. God's wilderness is actually a place of testing. And just as they failed, and sometimes they collected manna on the seventh day, sometimes we might fail too. But God is very patient. And just as he was with Israel in the desert, oh, he's, he's patient. He's rich in mercy. Every day, get up, 
get back up. Get in his presence again. Understand that he's providing for you through his word, through a personal relationship with him, and through the church, his body, his community. And I know myself that those three things were absolutely critical in, in my journey. You take any one of those out and you're going to struggle. The wilderness is going to go on and on and on and on. So I want to encourage you tonight, if you're missing any one of those elements, search your heart, let the Holy Spirit show you and show you why. Maybe someone's listening now and they say, well, I'm happy to listen online, but I, I, never want, I, don't, I don't like going there on Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you why that is. Because you'll starve in your own bedroom. You can listen to sermons all day long and still starve to death spiritually. We need each other. And I thank God for all of you. I really do. Because you're my family. So I'll leave it with that. I'll say I love you, family. And I thank God that he put me in your lives and you in my life and that we can do this together. And that the promised land is at hand. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your provision. Lord, we rejoice in every trial knowing that you work it together for good. We thank you for your sustenance and your nourishment in the time of wilderness. And if there is someone here struggling in that place, Lord, we lift them up as a body to you. We ask that you strengthen them. We thank you that you comfort them, Lord. That you charge angels with their protection. Just as angels ministered to you in the wilderness, we thank you your angels minister to that person in their wilderness. We thank you that the lie of the enemy in the wilderness is silenced, that he's defeated by your word. Thank you, Jesus. 
thank you for the victory we have in you. We give you glory. We give you glory. We give you glory, Lord. Hallelujah. We worship you. We thank you. Thank you that hope is restored. Hope is restored. Your feet will not, the sandals did not wear out in the wilderness, nor will yours. long as you walk on the gospel your sandals will never wear out thank you you go before us Lord Amen Amen got a bit of time for prayer so if anyone wants to come forward we're happy to